Father, we just ask that for each one of our lives, that, that we would be able to see your faithfulness in our lives, that we would be able to clearly see the ways that you've brought us from where we were to where we are right now, that we would see your hand of grace and hand of mercy and hand of strength upon us, leading us and restoring us and bringing us here, and that we would rest in that faithfulness as we look to the future. And Father, as we rest in that faithfulness, we, we know we need your, your leading and your guiding in our lives because we don't know what the future holds. And so we, we keep looking to you to, to be corrected and guided through this life. And so, Father, that's why we come to your word this morning because we, we know we need to hear you speak. We know we need to hear your wisdom and your guidance and, and your correction in our lives. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that now as we come to your word and that all the different things going on in our hearts and in our minds, that, that you would just push those off to the side for now, that, that we would have clarity of thought and clarity of mind so that we could hear you speak. And Father, we ask that then you would speak to us through your word and that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us and that you would transform our hearts and our minds and shape us to become more like you. Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we're in John chapter 7, verses 25 through 39. And so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to pull the Bible out, Uh, from under the chair in front of you. You can open up to that. It will be on the screen as well, but sometimes it's just nice to have the Bible open in front of you. You can see the whole picture all at once. John 7, 25 through 39. Remember, Jesus is at the feast and he's teaching in the temple when this happens. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that this is the Messiah? But we know where this man's from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I'm from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowds put their faith in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a time, for a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will will he go to where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. 
On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, about ten years ago, I I remember coming to a a realization that kind of caught me off guard, I would say. Uh, It bothered me. I I realized that I had this kind of habit that had begun to form in my life that was causing uh, difficulty and, and trials. Um, And I noticed that whenever I had too much free time and I got bored, I had an urge to kind of go into town and go to the hardware store or whatever and just start wandering around looking at all the different tools and stuff. And, And really, I would wander around the store looking at things I didn't have, didn't need, and couldn't afford, (laughs) And another way to say that is you'd walk around the store doing what? Coveting. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, Amazon became a thing. You didn't even have to go to the store. You could just kind of pull out your phone or your computer and, and see all of the things that you couldn't afford and didn't need and, but still wanted. And you would just do that. You'd start killing time doing that all the time. And what I noticed was, the longer I did that, the more dissatisfied I was. Because I was just reminding myself of all the things I didn't have over and over. and I, All the things I didn't have and couldn't afford, and I just kept spending all of my time doing that. And I found that I was always feeling like I didn't have enough. And, and I was never, never satisfied. And the reality is that's probably only increased um, today, Because I would guess most people, if you're really honest with yourself, um, have the same tendency. Maybe it's not Amazon, but most people today, the moment we get bored, there's like a subconscious gut reaction to do what? Whip out your phone. Flip on the TV. Whatever. And uh, it's like... it's. It's such a reaction, I, I, you can just watch. If, if you kind of go through life, you just watch. Someone sits down, they're quiet for like five seconds. Foom, the phone comes out. Um, and, and what are we looking at on our phone? Like it's not maybe not Amazon, but you're looking at things you want to do and can't do or things you want to buy and can't buy. And you're doing the same thing. You just keep looking, coveting, and being dissatisfied. And... There may be some of you here who are like, well, I'm not addicted to my phone. I don't have that problem. But the reality is we, we do the same thing in a lot of different ways. Long before there were phones, um, people tried to kind of satisfy their boredom and dissatisfaction with food, um, with work, by just trying to sleep the day away, and a whole host of other things, and you get the same result. Um, seeking to be satisfied, but not actually being satisfied. I, I, and that's what's really, really kind of crazy about, 
about each of these things. We're, we're bored and we're dissatisfied, and so we turn to these things to be satisfied, and yet they don't actually do it, right? I mean, think about, think about when we get bored, you know, everybody, maybe not everybody, but some of us have this tendency, we get bored and we start snacking on things. And it's like trying to fix our boredom, so you start snacking, but then what happens when the snacks run out? For one, you've eaten way too much, probably. The snacks are gone, and you're still bored. <laughs> you're not satisfied. It didn't, it didn't do it, right? With your phone, you're, you're bored, and you, you, you pull out your phone, and you start doom-scrolling, <laughs> Just flipping through that thing. And sure, it maybe numbs you for a bit. It distracts you for a bit. But when you put your phone down, are you more satisfied? No, you're, you're still bored. And the reality is, you probably feel worse than you did before. Um, you, don't, you don't ever like spend an hour flipping on your phone and set it down and go, man, I feel like I go like tackle the world. I could do something exciting and fun. You usually go, I am exhausted. I am wore out and I'm not satisfied. And yet you turn to it to try to be satisfied, but you weren't. And you just kept going back to it over and over again, seeking to be satisfied and you're not. And um, it's all of us in our own unique ways. We all do it in different ways, but we turn to these things to be satisfied and then we aren't and we keep going back because they're not satisfying us. And we just keep going and going and going. And, and we're in a culture that, that's doing that all the time. And, and it's kind of in the midst of that like dissatisfaction and weariness and tiredness that Jesus says, if you're thirsty... Come to me and drink. I'll satisfy. All, all of these other things will leave you weary and longing and tired. But he says, if you're, if you're thirsty, if you're longing, if you, if you want to be satisfied, come to me. And, and I will do it. You, you'll experience that. Um, you can Stop going to all these other... If we bring this back to a few chapters ago, the woman at the well, he tells her, stop going to all these wells that don't quench your thirst. You're going to all these things. It's like coffee. If you're really thirsty and you drink some coffee, what's it going to do? It doesn't quench your thirst. It just makes you thirstier. And so you're longing for something and you just keep drinking coffee and you get thirstier and thirstier and thirstier and more dehydrated and more dehydrated. And that's life. And Jesus says, it's not working. <laughs> Come to me. I'm the one that, that you're longing for. I'm the one who will truly quench that thirst. Um, and he's saying, ultimately... He's the only one who can quench that thirst. But it's interesting, when you, when you say that, um, and I, I've said this a lot over the years to a lot of people, I've had a number of people say, well, that sounds all good and everything, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> I've tried the whole Jesus thing. I wasn't satisfied. I, 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 it, it didn't work. 
So I said, to heck with it. I just walked away because Jesus didn't actually satisfy. Um, you know, and depending on the situation, you have different responses. But, but one of the responses I think that fits well with this passage this morning is to point out that there's a difference in trying something out um, and drinking deeply. Or another way to say that, there's a difference in tasting something and drinking deeply from something. Um, You can't just try Jesus out and and be satisfied. You can't just taste him and be satisfied. You have to drink. I mean, if if you get done with a long day of work and you're really quenched and thirst, you're really thirsty and you're just, I need some water, and then you take it and you take a little sip. Does anybody expect that to quench their thirst? No, it, it won't. You have to drink deeply of it. And Jesus says, if, if you really want to experience being satisfied in me and have your thirst quenched, you have to drink deeply. And that means you have to give your life to me. You have to know me. You have to believe in me. And that, he says, you have to come to me with all of your life. That's the only way. The only way you can actually be satisfied. And and the reason that that's an important point is because what we're going to see throughout the kind of the beginning that leads up to Jesus making this statement is the problem with the crowds and the problem with the Pharisees is that they they don't actually know Jesus. They think they know Jesus, but they don't actually know Jesus because they've only tried to take a little sip. They've tried to just try Jesus out for a little bit. And so you have the crowd saying, okay, how is this guy still speaking in the temple? Aren't they trying to kill him? Like, can it be that the authorities know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And where, When the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And so they're like, Okay, the authorities are trying to kill him, but he's speaking publicly, loudly, in the temple, and the authorities aren't doing anything about it. Do they know? Do they think he's the Messiah? Like, maybe the, maybe the authorities don't really know who he is, and then they, it's almost like they start to think, like, should we think that he's the Messiah? But then they go, no, no, no. We know who he is. And when the Messiah comes, no one's going to know where he comes from, but we know him. They don't. They go, this guy's from Galilee, but it says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And this guy wasn't born in... He was. Because <laughs> they don't know him. They don't really know him because they've only tasted him. They haven't drunk deeply. And so Jesus kind of brings some correction. And there's a couple ways that this could be... Uh, this sentence could be translated. The NIV and the ESV both translate it as a statement where Jesus says, you know me, and you know where I come from. Um, And so if you understand it in that way, Jesus is saying, yeah, you do know me. But I'm kind of along the lines of a bunch of the other commentators I read where Jesus is saying this more as a question. It could be translated as a question where he's saying, you know me? (laughs) You know where I come from? Really? I don't think you know me as well as you think you know me. And he goes on, he says, I've come not on my own accord, but he who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, 
for I come from him and he sent me. And see, Jesus is pointing out to them, they don't really know what they think they know. He said, you don't know me because, and you don't know me because they don't know who? The Father, right? Jesus said, the Father's one who sent me and you don't know him. And if you knew the Father as well as you think you know the Father, then you would know me because Jesus says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Like everything I say and do, my whole life, my whole being It's like a reflection of the Father to the world. And so if you knew the Father, you would look at me and you would say, ah, he's the Messiah. But Jesus says, but actually, you're looking at me and you're saying, we don't know who this guy is. He says, that actually means you don't know the Father either. You don't know me and you don't know the Father, and that's why you're still not satisfied. You're still thirsty. Um, And the crowds don't like that. So... They seek to arrest him. Uh, But no one lays a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Large groups of people don't like to be rebuked like that. (laughs) You know, Jesus says, you think you know the Father? You don't even know the Father. That's why you don't know me. And so they get angry and they, they start making plans. The crowds start making plans to have Jesus arrested. All right, we've had enough of this guy. He's not the Messiah. He's telling us we don't know the Father. He needs to be shut up. We're going to have him arrested. But we're told it doesn't work because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't wasn't yet the Father's plan or the purpose. But yet in the midst of all of that, kind of anger and frustration, there's there's this beautiful line, yet many of the people believed in him. And I think that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. You think Jesus in the temple, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, this was like months ago now, where Jesus cleansed the temple. I showed how big the temple is, right? It's like three football fields full of people because it's the feast. Jesus is speaking loudly so that they can all hear him. And they're all angry at him. They're all trying to arrest him. They're all trying to get him taken care of. And in the midst of all of that hostility, some people still hear Jesus and they go, we believe he's the Messiah. Um, Calvin has this great line. He says, Therefore, though some may murmur and others scorn and others slander, and though many differences of opinion may arise, still the preaching of the gospel will not be without effect. So we must sow the seed and wait with patience until in the process of time the fruit appears. The gospel, the preaching of the gospel will never be without effect. It will always carry out its purposes. And that purpose sometimes is going to look different in different people. Jesus is preaching the gospel and some say, we hate him and we want to arrest him. The gospel produced that effect, but the gospel also produced the effect of we believe, right? Jesus, we must sow. Throw the seed out. It will either be eaten, you know, all of that, or it will land on good soil. But it will always have an effect. That should give us hope and boldness, confidence to go out and preach the gospel. And help us realize, too, when we go out and preach the gospel and some people get angry, say, the gospel is still having an effect 
even though it's not having maybe the effect that we wanted it to have, it's still having an effect. That's the effect it had on the Pharisees. The Pharisees hear the crowd muttering all these things about Jesus and the chief priests and the Pharisees. They send officers to arrest him. Right, So the Pharisees hear all this conversation going. Can you imagine the Pharisees hearing people saying, do you think the Pharisees think he's the Messiah? Why haven't they killed him yet? <laughs> and the Pharisees are like, oh, people think we might think he's the Messiah. And then, then they hear other people saying, maybe he is. And then they hear other people saying, we believe it. We believe in him. So they're like, we got to shut this down now. So they use all of their political power and resources, and they get the temple guards, that's the officers that we're talking about, the temple guards to go get Jesus. They say, go, go get that man. Have him stop teaching right now in the temple. And what does Jesus do? Just keeps on teaching. I mean... It's one of those moments where you think, like, I'm trying to put myself, like, picture you're in a movie watching this happen. Right? Jesus in the middle of the temple teaching. The crowds are organizing that he gets arrested. The Pharisees and the chief priests have guards going to get him. They're, like, working their way through the crowd to go and get Jesus. And because he's Jesus, he knows it's all happening. He knows they're coming for him. He also knows it's not his hour. So he has confidence in that. And he just keeps teaching. And he doesn't teach quietly or softly, but every time we hear about Jesus teaching in this passage, he's proclaiming or he's crying out. That means he's saying it very loudly so that everybody can hear what he's saying, even as they're pursuing him to arrest him. Um, and then, not only is he doing that, but then he starts speaking against the Pharisees who are sending the guards. And so he looks at the Pharisees and he says, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And I love this. It's sometimes hard to catch it because John, John loves to write with irony. And so John's got some irony in here that as the guards and the temple and the priests and the crowd, they're all seeking to arrest Jesus. Jesus says, oh, you're going to seek me, but you're not going to find me. Now, he's not talking about this moment. He's talking about something else. But there's, it's just ironic that as they're seeking to arrest him, Jesus says, there's actually going to come a time when you're really going to seek me, not to arrest me, but you're going to seek me in a different way, but you're not going to find me. Um, because where I'm going, you cannot come. And he's saying that to the Pharisees because they, they don't know him. They don't believe in him. They haven't, they haven't come to him. And he says, you can't come where I'm going unless you know me and you believe in me. You drink from me. And he's telling the Pharisees, I mean, this is a, a really strong judgment on the Pharisees, saying there will come a time um, when you will seek me and it'll, your time will be up. It will be too late. It's really Isaiah 55. Jesus is saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. When he's right in front of you, seek him. Don't, don't wait. Don't keep putting it off or... Or he'll tell, a, he'll tell a parable 
um, later on about servants who are waiting for the, the return, right? And they don't have enough oil in their lamps and they go away and they get their, their oil and they come back and they say, hey, let us in. And he says, I never knew you. Why? Because they, they never knew him. They had not come to Jesus. They hadn't believed in him. They hadn't drank from him or known him. And they, they, missed, their, they missed their opportunity And so when Jesus says this to the crowds and the Pharisees, they have no idea what he's talking about. They're all confused. Like, where is he going? Is he going across the Jordan to the the diaspora? Where is he going? But, But we know, right? We know what Jesus is talking about. He's saying his death, his resurrection, and his ascension are coming. And he knows it's coming soon. And he says, it's not here yet. It's not the Father's timing yet, but it's coming when I'm going to die I'm going to rise again from the dead, and I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to go back to the one who sent me. I'm going to be at my Father's right hand. It's the ascension, like we talked about. That's today. This is the day that we celebrate to remember Jesus' ascension into heaven. Right? After Easter. You know, think about how Easter seems like it was forever ago now. Like Jesus rose again from the dead on Easter, and then he walked on earth. Until today, when he ascended into heaven. And, you know, when we, when we celebrate Ascension Sunday, we're celebrating this reminder that Jesus ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and there's so many different things that come with understanding the Ascension. But we're going to talk about two of them this morning. One's very common, and one I would say is not very common. Um, one... One has to do with what Jesus is just telling the Pharisees right now. Um, Part of the reminder when we celebrate Jesus' ascension into heaven is that he told his disciples what when he ascended? I will come back in the same way that I'm leaving now. And when he comes back, he said, I will come to judge the living and the dead. And uh, for those who (laughs) seek Jesus to arrest him, to condemn him, to reject him, Jesus says, I'll come back. And you will not be able to come with me because you didn't know me and I never know you. Um, but for those who come to me and seek me, believe in me, who, who drink from me, I'll come back and it will be mercy and joy and grace and you'll be with me for eternity. But for the Pharisees, it's a, it's a word of judgment. That's part of the ascension. Not the fluffy part of the ascension, but it's, it's part of that. The other part of the ascension, and we'll talk about that more next week on Pentecost, but part of the ascension is also remembering the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said to the disciples, right? They're like, why do you have to go? And he said, trust me, it's better that I go. Because when I go, then I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he'll be with you to to guide you and strengthen you and to lead you and to nourish you and to do things that I couldn't do when I was here in my physical body. It's better. And so Jesus talks about that too. It's beautiful how Jesus connects all these teachings together. It, he it kind of ends on this weird note where there's all this confusion and then John says, well then, a few days later, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stands up in the temple again, cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And just in case we missed it, John says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given in full, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You know, and there's, there's a lot of really beautiful stuff that comes with Jesus saying this at this moment. Because um, things that I think we, we forget, you know, John connects a lot of this with all the different feasts of the Jewish year. And all of this is going on in the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Tents, you could call it, whatever. It's, it was a feast of the Jews to remember their time in the desert. And so in the desert, they lived in tents. And so this was a time where they would take a week where they would live in booths or tents or tabernacles to remember their time in the desert. But, but more than just remembering their time in the desert, they were remembering how God provided for them in the desert, remembering how God provided for them while they lived in tents. And so they, they were living in tents for this week and then had celebrations throughout the week to remember all the different ways God provided for them. And on the seventh day of the feast... There was this huge procession. Um, it was like a huge like Thanksgiving Day parade where all of the people would come out of the temple and they would have these huge gold jars and they would proceed throughout Jerusalem and they would go to the pool of Siloam where Jesus healed the guy. They would go, they would scoop out huge jars full of water, go back to the temple and there was singing and trumpets and shouting and dancing, just huge celebration out and back and they would get to the temple and they'd take these jars of water and they would pour them out on the altar and they would say, um, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And they would shout that over and over and over again, celebrating what? God providing them water in the desert. They were thirsty. They were longing. They wanted water and God gave them water from a rock. And in the midst of that, Jesus says loudly. Think about that. In the midst of all of that celebration, all of the joy and excitement over that, Jesus stands up, says loudly, If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. A little disruptive. But the point is, this whole celebration, Jesus is saying, is about me. When God provided you water from the rock in the desert, that water from the rock was pointing to me. When God satisfied your deepest longings, that was all about me. This whole celebration, when you're saying, you know, great is the Lord. You know, his love endures forever, all of that. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. That's all talking about me. And yes, it's good to celebrate that God provided for you in the desert, but, but that water satisfied you for a short time. Jesus says, but I can come, and if you come to me and you drink from me, you'll be satisfied for eternity. And he says, he goes on, he says, actually, 
any, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not, he says, not only will you just drink and be satisfied, but that water, that, that satisfaction will like well up within you and fill you to the point of overflowing so that that actually overflows out of you onto the world around you. And it will keep going, this, this living water. It's, it, there's a lot of imagery in here. It's, it's, it's on the one hand, it's in like an abundant filling. It's, you're going to be so satisfied that it's going to fill you to the brim and overflow. But it also has this beautiful effect that that's going to overflow and run out onto the people around you. It's going to have a, an effect on everyone around you. And, and John says, you know, just in case you missed it, He's talking about the Spirit. All the talk about water, he's talking about the Spirit. And it's those who believed in him who received the Spirit. The Spirit had not yet been given, and you could put in parentheses, in full. That's going to happen on Pentecost. The Spirit has been around, but it's not been given in full because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not ascended yet. But he's saying, this is the work of the Spirit in us. When we believe in Jesus, he said, we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit begins to work in us and satisfies our deepest longings and, and quenches our thirst and fills us beyond full so that that overflows onto the world around us. Um, it, it's that thing we've been looking for and longing for and haven't been able to find um, on this earth. Now, I want to I quote uh, Herman Ritterboss. I think it's a really helpful understanding in this, because he says, the abundance of the gifts of the Spirit, referred to here, does not mean that the believer will be transferred from a struggling faith to a purely triumphant faith, but that the believer will become a participant by the Spirit in the glorification of Christ, that the believer will drink from a spring whose fullness for everyone who believes will never be exhausted. And, and here's why I think that's important, because some people think, like, I'm, I'm dissatisfied over here, and all of a sudden I'm going to believe in Jesus, and I'm going to be immediately satisfied completely forever. And he's saying, not quite, not exactly what's being said here. On the one hand, what Jesus is pointing out, he's saying, when you believe in me, now there's a well available for you to drink from and be satisfied in a well that will never, ever run dry. And now you know where it is. Before you were looking in all the wrong wells, now you know where the well is, it will never run dry, and when you need to be satisfied, you keep going to that well, you keep drinking over and over and over again. And what Ritterboss points out is now we become a participant with the Spirit. The Spirit starts to work in us to transform our hearts and to increasingly satisfy us. Little by little, from here all the way up to our death, but when we enter into the presence of our God, that will be a point where we will be quenched for eternity. And never longing, always satisfied. But here, there's a process of going into that, going back to the well and drinking, and drinking some more, and drinking some more. And the more we drink, the more we're satisfied, and the more we're filled, and the more it overflows. But it only happens for those who 
truly know Jesus. It doesn't happen by just tasting, by just trying him out for a little bit. It's all in. It's drinking deeply. It's abiding in him. It's coming to him, he says. It's believe all analogies of what true faith is. You have to, you have to come to him and drink. And, and you have to, in order to do that, you have to also come to the point of recognizing that there's nothing in this world that will truly satisfy you. Nothing. Everything here will, will let you down. Everything here will leave you longing for something else. The only one who will truly satisfy is Jesus. And he does it through the work of the Holy Spirit who comes into our life by faith. And so the first step in learning to be satisfied and learning to, to just live at peace in the world, the first step is to come to him in faith and say, I'm sorry. I thought I could satisfy myself. I can't. I need you. Satisfy me. And I keep doing it each and every day from here on out for eternity. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful again for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Because when we're honest with ourselves, we repeatedly act and live as if we can satisfy ourselves. Or live and act as if there are things of this world that can ultimately satisfy our deepest longings. And we often live and ignore you and ignore the, the satisfaction that you bring. And so, Father, we ask your forgiveness for that. We ask that you would forgive us for searching in all the wrong places. We ask for your forgiveness for our lack of faith and trust in you. We, we ask your forgiveness for our own foolishness, really. And Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that we know that when we come to you in faith that through your son's death and resurrection on the cross, our sins can be forgiven. And through the work of your Holy Spirit within us, our, our lives can be renewed, our hearts can be renewed, our emotions, our desires, and ultimately our satisfaction can be renewed through the Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that, that your Spirit would do that in us, that your Spirit would continue to work in us so that we would continue to drink from your living water. Increasingly be quenched, increasingly be satisfied in you, and rest in that satisfaction from now on into eternity. Father, we know we can't do that ourselves, but it's only a work of the Spirit, and so we pray that you would do that now, and increasingly more so as we long for the day when we'll be ultimately satisfied in you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.